Well, good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, we have uh, we got into town on Friday afternoon. Flew into the massive Denver airport. Um, didn't get lost in that massive Denver airport. Uh, took a train, which was uh, a lot of fun for Easton. He's kind of into trains right now. And so that was different. I wasn't used to that. We've, we've flown into Dallas before and had the same kind of experience with the trains. Um, so that was pretty neat and uh, have had just a great time getting to know you and getting to, to speak with you. Um, before I kind of get started, I, I kind of want to give some, uh, uh, introduce a couple things or a couple people. Um, Easton is, is our little boy. He is downstairs having a great time, I'm sure. Um, and so you'll get to meet him. He's about yay tall and got blonde curly hair. And um, he is um, unfortunately uh, going to steal your heart. Uh, and he may or may not give it back. We'll see how that goes. Um, so he's enjoyed being here. Uh, we told him, you know, this morning, he said, well, we're going we're gonna to go home tomorrow. We're going to get up and, and fly back to Albuquerque. And, and that was not necessarily a happy moment for him. But uh, he's got all his toys there. So that'll, that'll definitely help ease the blow. Um, my wife, Emily, obviously is here, and she's back here in the back. I'm not going to have her stay in because I really love her and want her to continue to love me, <laughs> but she's right there. Um, I kind of want to talk to you this morning uh, kind of about how I saw this morning going. Now, look, um, some of you, you know, we, we met last night, and we kind of got a chance to talk, and you kind of got a little bit of a uh, understanding of who I am and kind of how I kind of see things, and, and some of you thankfully actually came back to this this, this morning. And um, when I looked at this message, when I looked at sharing this, I was kind of a little perplexed. I was like, you know, it's like I, I talked to Nathan, I talked to Emily, and I said, man, I, I, if someone passes away, I, I know what to share at a funeral. Somebody gets married, I know what to share at a marriage. I know how to do this. If it's normal Sunday or a normal service, I kind of know what to do in some ways. And it was like, I didn't know what to do when you candidated. You know, are you supposed to share this grand vision when you really don't even know if you're for sure going to be here? Do you share something different? So, so here's kind of what I landed on. My hope this morning is twofold, okay? Number one, I hope that you get an understanding of what possibly a service will look like on March 19th, 2020. I hope that we tape this message. Well, maybe not, you know. But I hope we have this message and basically we can have another one in three years or ten years and you can play them to two people and they won't know which service was which. I want you to know what you're getting. I want you to know what to expect, and so this service is not necessarily going to be this great, grandiose plan about what God has laid on my heart for Broomfield Assembly. It's going to be something that I want you to take and want you to learn from and have something that you look at and go, that was great, and I couldn't tell the difference between something that possibly happens two years from now. So I just want you to understand that, okay? Number two, I understand what's going to happen after this service. And I know you understand what's going to happen after this service. Now, here's what I'm asking you to do. Stop thinking about that. Okay? Stop thinking about that. Because at this moment, this is God's time. Because God is going, his will is going to be done. Okay? That's what we want. That's what you want. And more importantly, that's what he wants and he's in charge. 
Okay? So I want you to stop worrying about that. God is going to speak to you if he hasn't already, and you are going to vote based on what God has said, not based on anything else. That's what we want as a family, and that's what you should want as a family. So put that aside for a while, because right now, I believe that God has given me something for this place at this time in this moment. And this is God's time, and I don't want to waste God's time. Okay? Those are the ground rules. Everybody got it? Okay? I worked with teenagers for 15 years. You better give them ground rules or they'll burn down the church. Okay? So we have to understand that. Good. The title of the message this morning is called Serving with Jesus. And we're going to be in John chapter 2. Now, I kind of do things maybe a little different than you're used to. Um, one thing that you're going to find is when I'm up here, I, uh, you are way down there. Okay? So I'm going to be down here a lot. I'm going to go up and down the stairs. Um, if, you, if we do end up coming to be your pastors, we're going to have to put into the budget uh, new carpet. Not necessarily new carpet back there, but new carpet down here because I'll wear a rut in it. Okay? Your necks are going to get really used to doing this, okay? If you've ever been to a tennis match, just, I'm just preparing you all, okay? But we're going to be in John chapter 2, and, and we're going to read this, this entire, not chapter, but this entire story, and then we're going to go back and look at it together. It says, in John chapter 2, and I'm reading out of the ESV version this morning, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Canaan a Gal- in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and they did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. But when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This The first of his signs Jesus did in Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory and his his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, I need you right now. I'm not enough. My words aren't enough. Me as a person, as a communicator is not enough. I need you. These people need you. So, Father, right now, God, I pray that I would decrease so you could increase. Father, I pray that every word that exits my mouth is ordained and anointed by you. Because that's what changes lives. That's what makes a difference. It's not me, it's you. And so, Father, right now, Father, I pray that you would open our ears. That, Father, you would open our hearts, that no person in this room would sit idly by as you are here to minister to us and to share your word with us. Because, Father, your word is life to us. And, Father, we're hungry for your word. So help us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
I remember learning this story as a child. I remember uh, growing up in church. I remember having, um, going on missions trips. And, and, and one of the things that I did when, when we went on missions trips is I was, um, we, we'd go and do missions trips when I was in the youth group growing up, and we would do kids' crusades, okay? We would go, and we'd bring all the kids in, and, and it was neat to talk to Gordon and, and, and some of the, uh, about what you guys were doing in, in Sturges, and that was so cool, and that kind of brought back some neat memories for me. But one of the things that I did, uh, my job was to do <clears throat> wonder lessons, They weren't magic. No, they were wonder lessons. And basically it was slide of hand and things like that that we would do and the kids would be amazed. And I remember one time I did a wonder lesson. And basically what I did, and this one I made up myself. And by the way, I had a name. My wife is shaking her head right now. Do not call me by this because I do not deserve it because I gave it to myself. But I was the amazing Aaron. Not true. And I thought, I'm going to make up my own wonder lesson. And so what I did was I took a glass of, of, of a glass and I put Kool-Aid in it. The powdered Kool-Aid. And I had another glass and it was water. And I told this story about Jesus turning the water into wine. And I had the, water, the glass there. And I took the water and I poured it into the other glass. And there was Kool-Aid in it. And, of course, it turned purple. Because anytime Kool-Aid hits any substance, it dyes it permanently forever. And so I was like, look, what? And I remember I did that. And all the kids were, ooh. And there was always one kid. Okay? If you deal with kids, you know there's always that one kid. And he sat back in the back. And all the other kids were amazed. And one kid goes, he put Kool-Aid in the bottom of the glass. We expelled him from church. No, I'm kidding. But I remember doing that. I remember learning that story as a child about Jesus turning water into wine. And, and most of us know that story. We know about Jesus in that story. But kind of something I like to do sometimes is actually look at these stories that we've learned and experienced and see something new in them. And sometimes when I have looked at the story, I, I, there, there's a major character in this story that we tend to forget about. We forget not to bring up. We love to focus on even Mary or, or the bridegroom or, or Jesus. But one thing that I usually don't hear a lot about is the servants. You see, the servants had a very important part to play in this story. And we're going to focus in on them this morning. We're going to look at some of the things that they did. Because here's the problem. Here's the situation. There was a problem. They ran out of wine. Now, if you don't understand something about this, this was a major, major thing back in first century Jewish life. If you ran out of wine, you could literally be sued by somebody else because you did not give them the hospitality that they felt they deserved. Also, remember, this is a small little village. There's a lot of people at this wedding. They run out of wine... You think that they're just going to forget about it? People are going to talk about this. This is a major deal and a major problem. And all of a sudden, we are in this moment where we don't know what to do. Mary is looking at this and she's going, oh my goodness. You know, I love how scripture is. Because it's like, and they ran out of wine. And we can so easily read that and miss the depth of what that really is saying. Basically, at this point, Mary is going, oh my goodness, the world is coming to an end. We have run out of wine. This is a big deal, a big problem. And what do we get? And they ran out of wine. 
there's depth here, and we're going to find it. And so we have this moment where Mary goes, this is major. Now, you've got to remember something here. Jesus can do anything. That's a good place to start in a lot of areas of our life. Jesus has the authority and the power to do anything. Jesus does not need the servants. He chooses to use the servants. I like that. I like that Jesus chooses us. Listen, you need to understand something. I don't mean this in a negative way. God doesn't need you. He chooses to use you. This may sound weird, but go with me here. I did not need my wife. I was married. I was, I was single for years. I chose her because I wanted her to be a part of my life. Sometimes we get those mixed up. Sometimes we think God needs me. God doesn't need you. God chooses you. I would rather be chosen by God. And here's the great thing. All of us are. All of us are chosen by God to do something incredible. All of us are chosen by God to have a calling and a destiny that God wants to unleash in you. But the thing is, a lot of times we aren't in a servant's mindset to be ready for that calling and for that moment. We miss it because we're all wrapped up in some other things that quite honestly aren't as important as serving with Jesus. And so Jesus has come, there is a need, there is a disaster, there is a problem. And instead of just Jesus going, water, wine, which he could have done, he goes to the servants. And we can learn something from them. We can learn how they responded to Jesus. And we can then apply it to our lives. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take the lessons from the servants. I want us to apply those things to our lives because I believe that these things, when we can use them and apply them, things are going to change. At the end of this message, we'll learn about the results. And that's important. But right now, we're going to look at some of the things that they display. The first thing we're going to look at is this. Servants of Jesus display lives of complete obedience. Complete obedience. Look at this. John chapter 2, verse number 5. It says this. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Can you imagine just for a second? Now, now listen, listen, when I speak, you have to think. That's how this works. Okay? You think, you let the spirit move in your heart, you listen, you obey, and God does amazing things. Everybody understand? Good. Here we go. So, what we do here is God desires complete obedience. Not partial obedience, not my obedience plus God's obedience, all of God's obedience. Every part, absolute, complete Obedience. Can you imagine how our world, how our lives, how this church would be different if we just simply did everything that Jesus told us to do? I want you to stop. I want you to think about that. I'll give you a minute. Think about it. Think about your life. Okay, we're all human. We all mess up. I'm really, really good at messing up. And you know how I usually mess up? I don't completely obey. I look at my own life and I go, 
my goodness, can I, I, like, like, you want to talk about transformation. You want to talk about personal transformation. You want to talk about cultural transformation. If we just listened to what Jesus said and we did it. Look, I'm not really into all this, let's make it real, real complicated. Because I don't see Jesus making it overly complicated. All I see is if we just do what he tells us. But not partially. Okay? Not not halfway, but completely. There's a story in 1 Samuel, I believe it's the 15th chapter. I wrote it in my notes, but I'm down here. And I want to make sure, yeah, it's the 15th chapter. And Saul is king in this particular passage of scripture. And most of you might know this. And God basically gives Saul a specific command. You are to do this. It is to be complete. It is to be absolute. And basically Saul, and he goes and he does it halfway. It's not complete obedience. He sets the king aside, which he was supposed to take out. He leaves some of the sheep and some of the, the, um, the animals, which he was supposed to take out. And Samuel appears in this moment, and Saul is so excited. Hey, man, what's up? And Saul, Samuel's like, what's going on? What? What's... He goes, well, I did everything that God asked me to do. And Samuel says, then why do I hear sheep? Why do I hear that? And we learn how God demands and expects complete obedience. Let me, let me help you understand something. God is not going to ask you to do something because he's power hungry or he's bored. There is a purpose and there is a reason. And one thing we have to all understand, and this may be hard for some of us, and it shouldn't be, is God is a lot smarter than we are. Now, you laugh and I laugh. Of course, of course. But do we really live that way? I know sometimes I don't. And we have this just heartbreaking moment in Scripture. At the end of this story, right before David is introduced in chapter 16, and it says basically this, and the Lord regretted making Saul If that doesn't break your heart, I don't think you understand how much God loves Saul. Okay? We, we have this view of Saul because of what he does later and, and how he... But, but God regrets making him king because he didn't completely obey. Complete obedience. Is it hard? You bet it is. You bet it is. I like to mountain bike. I enjoy that very, very much. I'm excited about if we, if we come up here, you know, finding new trails to ride and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And I have a bracelet that I wear. It's called a road ID bracelet. Some of you may know what that is. Basically, it is a bracelet I wear that if I fall, it's kind of, you know, when you say it out loud, it's kind of like, oh my goodness. It's a bracelet I wear that if I fall down and, and get knocked unconscious, someone will be able to look at the bracelet and go, oh, his name is Aaron. This is a phone number we can call to tell his wife that he is now unconscious on the side of the, the mountain. And what's great about it, you can per, of course, you can personalize this, okay? So I have my name and, and Emily's name and her number and all this stuff. And you can even put like a little um, phrase, okay? You put like a little phrase and that's supposed to be to encourage you or, you know, I thought maybe like putting on there like, if you find this, you know, do not resuscitate, you know, something like that, you know. 
I'm weird. But I put on there these words. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Listen, if we really understand who Jesus is, and we really understand who God is, and we really understand who the Spirit is, and we really understand who we are, complete obedience should come easily. Because, again, they're smarter than us. We don't know what's going to happen at lunch today. God knows what's going to happen at lunch 10,000 years from now. But yet, some reason, we think we know better. Listen, I know it's not easy to do, but I do believe that God is calling us all to complete obedience, even in the hard stuff. It's easy to be obedient when God says, I want you to do this, and we're like, yeah, yeah. It's harder when it's stuff that it's, we don't necessarily want to do. But God has called us to that. God has brought us to that place where complete obedience is important if we want to be a servant of Jesus. If we want to serve with him, that's something we need to make sure that we are doing. We don't want to end up like Saul. We want to make sure that our lives are displaying that. Next, servants of Jesus display lives that go the extra mile. Look at me, look with me to John chapter 2 again, verse number 7. It says this, it says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now, obviously, the extra mile concept comes from the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus looks at his disciples and looks at the people he's sharing this with and basically says, if someone propels you to go one mile, you go two. The basis of this is the understanding that as a Jewish person, they had to do this. It was required by law that if someone came to them and basically said, listen, you're going to carry my stuff for a mile, they had to do it. And basically Jesus is taking that illustration and he's saying, if someone asks you to do that or tells you to do that or basically commands you to do that, don't just go one mile with them, go two miles with them. And I love that that John, and he's very good at this in his gospel, he gives you the details. I like details. John doesn't just say they filled the jars. He says they filled them to the brim, to the very top. As much as they could possibly hold, that's how it's filled. Now, I want to ask you a question. God has asked you to do something. How far are you willing to go to see it happen? Because I believe something very interesting about this. I believe Jesus would have turned that water into wine to what extent they filled the jars with water. If they had gone half full, he would have made half the wine. Why does God do that? Because God wants you to understand that you have a part to play. Remember, he doesn't need you to turn water into wine. He wants to grow your faith. He wants you to help you understand that the more you give, the more he gives. How many of you heard this phrase before? You can't outgive God. So why do we live in a way that thinks we can? Do you understand that God doesn't really want to do the little stuff only? God literally wants to do stuff that makes your head do this. Ready? This is a technical spiritual term. (laughs) He wants to blow your mind. He wants to do not just the basis amount, just enough. He wants to blow your socks off. He wants to use you to blow people's socks off. Look, look, I I did math, and I'm horrible at math, okay? Some of you are great at math, and that is so great. You know why? 
because that means I don't have to be. But I did simple math, okay? I'm one of those, like, English history um, talk things. You know, I like those sort of things in school. And, and then others were science and math, and, and, and we had a name for all those people. We won't talk about it this morning. But I think you know. But I did some simple math here, okay? I just took, remember, these are, these are six stone jars. They're big. They hold basically anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons. So I just took the middle. See, math. 25 gallons. 25 gallons times six. And, and by the way, don't expect more math than this, okay? This is what you get. 25 times six equals 150 gallons of wine. That basically equals out to about 757 bottles of wine. There is no way in any way, shape, and form that they could have enjoyed all of those bottles of wine. Why does Jesus do it? Well, I think, number one, it shows his nature, his generosity, his, his, his abundance. Remember, remember, God doesn't just say, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you life to the full. He doesn't just say, I'm going to fill your cup. He says, I'm going to fill it, pressed down, shaken together, pouring over. 757 bottles of wine was more than they could have enjoyed for years. Why? Why does Jesus do it? Because they filled it to the brim. Because they were willing to not just go sort of, not just go halfway, but to say, God, I'm going to give you everything I have. Every part of me, every hope, every dream, every desire, every little thing in me that you want to use, I want to give it to you. Listen, God doesn't just want all of you because you gave him your life. He wants all of you because he can actually use every part of you. God is big enough to do that. And let's be honest, sometimes we don't act that way. Sometimes we put God in our nice little box that we can contain and say, God, you can use me in this area or this way or this situation. You know what? God makes all things new. God loves doing new things. God loves bringing forth new ideas. He's creative. Listen, folks, you've got to understand this if you don't get this. God did not stop creating on the sixth day. He rested on the seventh, but he's still creating new things because he's a creator God. He loves to create. He loves to do that. And so God may look at something and you go, man, how can I use this for God? Well, can I really use this for God? And God's like, uh-huh. <laughs> and if you'll give it to me, I will. If you give it to me, I will. If you're willing to fill it all the way up, God will use it. God will give it. God will make a way to do it. I cannot tell you how many stories, and I do not have time to share with you the stories of things that I've heard where if I told you, your eyes would go, like, how could God use that? And the answer is quite simple, because he's God. And he's that big, and he's that huge, and he's that amazing, that when we give him all that we are, it's like God says, now we're talking. You say, well, but, but nobody can. Well, you know what? Yeah, you're kind of right. We have a hard time with that. But there's this guy in the Bible that we like to talk about quite a bit that did. His name was Jesus. Perhaps you've heard of him. And he gives everything to God. Even the hard stuff. Even the uncomfortable stuff. Even the stuff that takes him to the cross. 
You want an example of what God can do when we give him everything? Your example is that. Right behind that screen, it's the cross, and it changed everything. Well, that was Jesus. I can't do that. That was Jesus. You know, that guy that you just talked about said, you are going to do greater things than he did. Can I ask you a simple, easy question that will challenge you, and I hope it does, because I feel like that's my job to a point, is where are the greater things today? Where are the greater things? Why are there not greater things happening in this place? Why are there not greater things happening across town? Why? Has God lost his power? Was Jesus a liar? Or maybe it has something to do with our servant's heart. Maybe it has something to do that we let excuses keep us from what God really wants to do in us. Look, I get it. I'm much more in tune with my faults than my strengths. It's hard. It's difficult. But if it was easy, everybody would do it. And so what we need to do is take that step. See, see, what I believe is this. We're all on a journey here with Jesus. And some of us are way, way over there, and that's great. Some of us are way, way over here, and that's great. And, and because God loves us all, and God's got us on this journey. And our goal here is not necessarily to get from here all the way to the wall in this service. Our job every day is to be doing this. Just getting closer to Jesus, getting more and more closer to him, becoming more and more like him every day, constant growth, constant understanding, constant maturing, constant things. Because here's the crazy thing. Yeah, this may take a little bit of time, but you know what? Eventually I'll get to that wall. The best way for you never to get to that wall is to think you have arrived. If you think you've learned it all, I am so sorry to inform you this morning that you are wrong. And listen, this, this, this learning about Jesus and God does not stop when you are dead. It goes on for all eternity. That's how big God is. I love that. I love that God basically says, listen, in, in eternity, you're going to learn more and more and more and more and more about me. I love that. Because I like knowing people. I like experiencing people. I like to experience a new thing about God. And he wants to do that in you. But you got to give everything. you got to give every part of you. Not because God needs it. Because God can just, again, water, wine, no problem. But not only does it transform others' lives, it transforms yours. You become more like Jesus. Listen, if there are parts of your life that you're holding back, Maybe you're afraid. Maybe, maybe you, you, you don't really fully trust God in that area. You know what? That's okay. God, God's not asking for your perfection, guys. He's asking for you to give him everything. And I understand it can be scary. And, 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 and there's some deep, deep things in us that are hurting and that are broken. And Jesus is saying, would you just give those to me? Look, I know this is off subject, but I just feel the spirit moving. I'm just going to go here for just a second. So this is free, okay? Some of you have some deep, deep stuff, way down deep. And you've buried it for a long time. 
And you put on the face and you put on the facade and every, you think every, you, you're fooling everybody. You're not fooling Jesus. And he doesn't want to bring this up this morning because he wants to bring up some painful thing. He wants to bring complete and total healing in your life because he loves you with a love that you can't even understand because of how big and how huge it is. And you say, but Aaron, you don't understand what, what this person did. You don't understand. I know I don't, and I don't have to, but I know a God that does. And I know a God that doesn't just sort of heal, he completely heals. But as long as you hold on to that, as long as you dig that down deep, as long as you don't give it all to God, God can't do the healing and restoring work that he wants to do. You have to understand something. God is in the restoring business. That's what he does. And he doesn't just restore it sort of. He doesn't make it kind of nice. He makes it brand spanking new. But if you hold on to that and if you live in that place, you will stay in that place. You will make your address there and you will live right there at 101 Hurt Street or 202 Bitter Avenue. But if you give that to him and you say, Father, I don't want to deal with this anymore. This hurts. I'm tired of it. God will come in with his healing bomb and do something so radically different and change your life that you will sit there and you will go, man, I wish I'd done this sooner. You don't believe me? Fine. But you give it and I promise you. God will do a work in you because his word promises he will. All those that are brokenhearted, all those that are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Some of you are exhausted. Some of you have dealt with things for a very long time. And maybe today, maybe, maybe this vote goes to a negative, and that's fine. And I came here for one reason and one reason only, and that was to share that. So don't miss it. Because I am cool with that. I am. Because God wants to do something so incredible in you and so life transformational in you. But he's going to let you decide when that time happens. That was free. Last thing. Servants of Jesus display lives of faith and trust. Look at John 2, 8. This is interesting because we don't usually think about this. And he said to them, now Jesus is speaking here. He's talking to, to the servants. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Now, that seems pretty simple and pretty, you know, obviously they took it. You know, that's what they do. They're servants, you know. But I want you to think about something for a second. How much faith and how much trust did it have to be for the servants to actually do this? Can you imagine? Now, remember, servants at this time, you know, they're not really looked at as real like, oh, yeah, hey, buddy, good to see you. Can you imagine how insulting it would have been for a servant to not bring wine, but to bring a glass of water? Can you imagine the trust and the faith that would have had to have happened? You go, well, maybe it changed colors. It doesn't matter. It was still water 30 seconds ago. They knew that. They were the ones who put the water in the jug. How much faith, how much trust in Jesus to basically say, I know this is crazy, I know this is nuts, but he said he wanted me to do it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to bring it to, I mean, I, I don't know about you, you know, I, you got to remember something, and this, this sounds kind of weird, the people in the Bible were human beings, 
with the same frailties, the same concerns. I mean, I always have this picture in my mind that here comes the servant, and he's got the cup, and he's just shaking because he knows what's going to happen if he hands this guy water. And he places it, and he lets it go. Do we have that type of faith? Do we have that type of trust? I mean, look, let's, let's be, it's easy when it's easy. You know what I mean? You get that? That was deep, wasn't it? It's easy when, it was, when it's easy. What, why would he, what do you do? How do you handle it when God basically asks you to do the impossible? When God says, I want faith and trust that you believe that I can take water into wine, and that's no problem for me. That's sometimes a little harder. Let's be honest. Come on, listen. This is family time, okay? This is God's time. If we can't be honest with each other and honest with God, what are we doing? Come on. We, you know, maybe, 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 let's, you know, maybe you are super spiritual. Good, good for you. I'm not. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. It's like you know in your mind, okay, yeah, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. God's going to, I trust you, Father. I, I have faith in you, Father. I know you're going to do this. And then like a curveball comes and it's, ah! come on. And it's so like simple, nothing stuff. You know, like I, there was an example, and I'm not going to share exactly what happened, but, 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 but my wife and I were, okay, we're trusting you, Lord. We're trusting you. Dude, this is going to be great, blah, blah, blah. And then something happened, and it was like I went, I mean, I just fell off the deep end. I just fell, I mean, I was like, God, what are you doing, God? How could you do this, God, blah, blah, blah. You know, and Emily is so sweet. And she just lets me kind of have my, my moment. Probably at that moment goes, goes you know, God. Could, could you not have found someone better for me? You know, something like that. <laughs> and and then, then God is God. And I don't know how many times, and I know how many times I'm going to in the future, where I sit down and I go, God, I am so glad you are so patient with me. And I say, God, I'm so sorry. But you know what? God uses that. God builds our faith even in those moments. God loves to use even, even our mess-ups to help him. I want to show you something this morning. Now, I like to use visual things because I'm a visual guy. And I, I actually really, really like a certain television show. And you look at me and you go, oh, this will be interesting. What kind of show does he like? And this, again, will give you an understanding of who I am as a person. I think one of the greatest television shows that has ever been produced in, by the heart of man is the Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> Some of you are shaking your heads because you know Jesus in a very intimate way. No, Jesus. Uh, and I want to show you a clip from the Andy Griffith show to show this point. Now, let me kind of explain to you what's happened here, because this is at the end of the episode. This is one of my favorite episodes. It's called Mr. McBeavy. And some of you will know this episode. And basically, in this episode, Opie has befriended a man named Mr. McBeavy. Mr. McBeavy is actually someone who's working in the forest. He's actually running telephone lines uh, in, in the woods area behind Mayberry, basically. And he meets Opie and befriends him. Talk about a different time. And basically befriends him, and he wears a silver hat, which is his hard hat. He has basically these things around him that jingle when he walks. He basically has these things, and he calls them his extra hands. And he says something like, I have seven extra hands. And so he 
tells Andy about this. He says, basically, I've met this man. And Andy is cool with it. No big deal. Just pretend, you know, obviously no one walks around in the trees because that's what Andy, that's what Opie says. Until Opie starts coming home with a quarter or a hatchet. And now Andy's concerned. Where are you getting these things? Say, Mr. McBeavy. He said, Mr. McBeavy doesn't exist. So he goes to Opie's room and he basically says to him, listen, everything will be forgiven if you just will admit that Mr. McBeavy is make-believe. He does not exist. If you'll do that, everything will be forgiven. If you don't, you're going to get a whooping. And so there's this moment, there's this tense moment between Opie and Andy. And Opie begins to say, I, Mr. McBeavy, and he stops. And he says, I can't, Paul. He's real. And Andy looks at him and says, Opie. And Opie, with those big, teary eyes, says, don't you believe me, Paul? And Andy says, yeah, I believe you. And that's where our episode picks up. Fred, if you want to play the clip. You know, there's times in our lives, I believe, where, where God allows things, he orchestrates things. And we have to look at it and say, that just seems impossible. That just seems impossible. And Andy makes a statement. He says, in moments like this, you find out if you really believe in somebody or you really have faith in somebody or you don't. Look, I pray and I hope and I desire for every single one of us that God, and I know he will do this, that God will bring us to places where God asks us to believe the impossible. Where there is just no way besides Jesus. They're too far gone, God. They're, 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 they've been alcoholic for 30 years, God. There's no way. Father, there is no money left in the account. It is gone and there is no way that we're going to get more. Father, the doctor has said two weeks and then they're going home. There's just no way. I love the way it was ended. Barney looks and he says, so you do believe in Mr. McBeavy? And Andy says, no. But I do believe in Opie. You see, here's the bottom line, folks. I don't necessarily believe in all the stuff that happens in my life, but I believe in a God that does. 
I believe in a God that can do it. I believe in a God that if I will put my faith and my trust in him, he'll do so much more and so much greater than changing water into wine. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' first miracle is a transformation? Isn't it interesting that how Jesus shows up and his first sign of who he is is taking something that is plain, something that is normal, something quite honestly that people didn't drink because it made them sick and turned it into something different. And not just, as we see at the end of our story, not just it's okay, but it's the best they've ever had best they have ever tasted. See, that's what my Jesus does. My Jesus takes that stuff that's plain, that makes people sick, and he transforms it and does something amazing. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a servant who is willing to say, I will do whatever Jesus says. I will go the extra mile and I will have the faith and trust that no matter what I put in my jar, that God is going to do something so amazing and make it something 10 times better than it ever hoped to be without him. Because see, the result of all this is pretty, pretty phenomenal in this story. So let's look at the results. The results of the servant's actions are this. And we're going to go through this quickly. The first one, people that needed help got help. You know, here's what's interesting about the story. The bridegroom, the maitre d', everybody involved besides Jesus and his disciples and Mary and the servants, they didn't even know they needed help. You know what I found sometimes? Sometimes the people that need the most help don't even know they need it. I'm fine financially. Nobody's sick. Everything's fine in my world. My job is good. My wife loves me. I, my kids are not, you know, running, uh, you know, amok all over the city. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm good. But you know what? They still need Jesus. And I love how, how the servants' actions helped people. They didn't even know they needed help. And Jesus still uses them to make a difference in their lives. So the first result is people that needed help get help which is a really cool thing. Next, the second result, Jesus' glory was revealed. Jesus' glory was revealed. The servants don't get credit for this, and they don't deserve to get credit for the miracle. They get credit for being willing to be a part of what Jesus is doing. But who gets the glory? Jesus, all the time, no matter what. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about what he is doing. Listen, the, 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 the purpose of this place is multifaceted. But the number one thing is to make Jesus famous. It's to make Jesus known. His love, his grace, his mercy, his awesomeness. Not about, well, those people are really, really friendly. Is that good? Yes, indeed. Well, you know, they have good coffee. Is that good? Yes, indeed. Is that what matters the most? No, it's Jesus and him being glorified. And because the servants were willing to do their part, he was glorified. That's what we want. The final thing is quite simply this. People believed in Jesus. People believed in Jesus. His disciples grew in their faith. They grew in their knowledge. They grew in their belief in that Jesus was who he said he was. 
Man, what three amazingly incredible things that can be a result when we will let God do what God wants to do. People that need help get it. People that basically, when they look at their lives and they look at the situation, they actually don't even know they need help. And God comes and does that. God's, Jesus' glory is displayed. We find out that Jesus is amazing and can do all things at all times in all situations. And people grow in their faith. They come to know him for the first time. They, 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 they grow. They're taking those steps to figure out more and more and more about who Jesus is. Listen, if I would tell you, what do I want for this place? What do I want for this church? What do I want for every church that I walk into every day of my life? I want these three things. I want people getting help. I want Jesus glorified. And I want people to know Jesus in a deeper way and come to know him for the first time. That's it. All the rest of it is icing. It's not the cake. Don't mix them up. Because when these things are happening, look, it's real hard in the church today to understand exactly, you know, there's a lot of views and a lot of different, ah, what's this look like and whatever. You know, I'm, again, I'm simple. I want that. I want that. Because I believe that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. Now, now, he does that in different ways, at different times, and we love that because God is a God of variety. Hallelujah. If you don't believe it, look around you. I love that we're different. I love that God does different things at different times. I love that. But that's the result. You say, Aaron, I, I'm not really into this servant thing. I'm not really. Well, then this is what you're going to miss out on. This is what this community is going to miss out on. This is what this church is going to miss out on. And you may come to me and say, well, you know, I, I'm just not into that. You know what? That's cool. That's fine. That's up to you. God lets you make that choice. But I want you to understand what's going to be missing. This is it. Listen, I'm very much into truth. Because I believe the truth sets you free. Not a watered-down version, not something that is palatable. The truth sets you free. This is the truth. This is what happens when we as servants are completely obedient to God. This is what happens when we're willing to not just go halfway, but to give everything. This is what happens when we trust God with everything and our faith is in Him. This happens every time. Because God is faithful. Not because of you, not because of your talents, not because of your lack of talents, but because Jesus is faithful. Period. And it's time that we put the excuses aside and get to work. Because there's a world that needs this desperately. And God could have just made everybody do it. And he doesn't. He lets us decide if this is what we want. Listen to me and hear me and hear my heart here. I'm going to go real quick in this and I'm going to come out. If you don't want this, please, 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 I'm begging you. Do not have me be your pastor. I'm sorry. I want this. I believe this is God in every way, shape, and form. Will we spell it out different? Yeah, we'll spell it out different. 
but this is what I believe God wants. If you don't want this, I'm not the man for this place. Okay, you have to understand something about me. I do this. There it is. That's what's beating. You know. You listen to the Father. If you want this, these things have to be a part of your life. For this to come in the fullness that God wants it to come. Let's pray. Uh, worship team, if you want to come up. Alicia, if you want to come play something on the keys, that'd be great. Let's talk. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, you are so good. You are a good, good, good Father. And you love us. And Father, the thing about your love that is so awesome, and even though sometimes, as your word says, it is not pleasant at the time, but it brings forth a harvest of righteousness is the understanding of discipline. Discipline, Father, from you is not saying you're horrible. It's not saying you're worthless. In fact, it's saying the opposite. It's saying you are worth correction. You are worth growth. And Father, I know as I examine my, my life and as I pray, as the Spirit is examining the hearts of all those that will allow Him to, that Father, right now, I know in my own life, I don't always do these things very well. Sometimes, Father, when it comes to obedience, it's like I want to obey you, but I also want to obey myself. I want to think that, that my understanding is greater than yours. And in those areas, things can be missed. Things that we could never know, but you know. Father, I know that sometimes I just kind of go halfway. I know that I don't give all that I am to what you've asked me to do. I get weary in well-doing. But Father, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to give everything I am to be the best father, the best friend, the best husband, the best pastor, the best coworker, the best boss, the best grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle or whatever title you carry. Father, I want to give everything I have because Jesus, quite frankly, your example to us was you gave it all. And he changed the world. And Father, finally, I know that sometimes my faith and my trust are not what they need to be. I let situations and circumstances keep me from living in the fullness of your trust and your faith. And Father, I want to do better. And so, Father, right now, I pray through your spirit that you are illuminating. Father, I pray that you would turn on a searchlight onto every heart and every situation right now. The Father, that we would not run from your light, but that we would run to your light so those things would be revealed. Again, not because we're horrible, terrible people, but because you love us and you are a good Father and a good Father disciplines those he loves to make us better, to make us more like you. Father, if we have listened to the lie that says that discipline means disgrace or discipline means disappointment. Father, I pray that you would put that lie back where it belongs in the pit of hell. 
And that, Father, we would understand that discipline is love. Discipline is caring. Discipline is saying, my child, I love you so much. Let me help you in this area. Let me make you more like my son so that the result of these things would be even greater than they have ever been in this church, greater than they have ever been in our lives. Father, let us choose this morning to make a change, to let our lives in greater measure than they ever have before to display these things that a servant displayed in our story. Because, Father, when those things happen, life change happens. It happens in us, and it happens in the people you place in our world. And, God, we so desperately want that, and we so desperately need that. So, Father, we take it all. We place it in your hands. We pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us, for you are the potter and we're the clay make us more like you in these areas. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name.